as you sit down, let's go to the Lord and ask for his assistance as we go to his word. Oh God, you are so good to us. And Lord, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. And Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word, and, and that word is culminated in the word of Christ. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we seek your word, that you would give us hearts to receive it, Lord, that you would uncover in us crevices within our heart where we have not surrendered to you, and, uh, and Lord, bring uh, sins to mind. Uh, where we have not been faithful, but Lord, as you do that, as your word pierces us to the core, Lord, may your word also heal us uh, as we come back to the cross. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll continue our study through the Gospels. And we're going to read verses 19 through 34. Matthew chapter 6 is the first of the four Gospels, and we're in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus says to His disciples and to the crowds who were listening. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, speaking of anxiety, there's always anxiety in the Sears home when we have to go to the store. Uh, and that's because uh, we have to load up the car and there's five other little ones that we have to take with us. And, and I must confess, that's usually Sarah taking the brunt of that. Uh, but I try to help here and there. Uh, and, and relieving her so she can go to the store. But when we go to the store, it's, it's always a challenge. But I'm sure it's been a challenge for you as well if you have little ones in your home or if you're a grandparent and you've ever tried to take 
your grandchildren to the store. You, you may have a list of items that you're, you're setting out that I'm going to come here and get these. We're on a timetable. We're coming in. We're going to get out. But the moment that you pull up at the parking lot at Target, can we go to the toy aisle is the cry. We'll see. As you're walking in, hey, do you think we can go to the toy aisle? We'll see. Another one. Hey, do you think we can go to the toy aisle? We'll see. Can we go to the toy aisle? Yes, we can go to the toy aisle. And that's how it goes. And once we get to the toy aisle, well, that's not where it ends, is it? Especially when one of them realizes they got a card from their grandparents that has a $10 bill in it. Now the question is, can I get this? No, that's, that's $60. No, can I get this? No, that's worse. That's $100. Okay, I found this, Mommy and Daddy. It's $9.99. Yeah, but there's tax. You can't, you, you can't get that. And so as their parent, we, we begin through this struggle with them in the toy aisle. And first of all, confession of a parent, I don't want to buy a $10 item. We have tons of junk already. We don't need more $10 items of junk that won't even make it out of the car when we get home. But second, and, and actually there's a real sense, like I, I feel for them. Oh, there's better things. Oh, let's save our money. There's a better place to buy this. What you're wanting, if you could just save a little bit more, there's more cards coming in the mail. I promise there is a better toy for you. And we can see it. It's, it's, it's cheaply made. It, it's just not worth it. But that doesn't matter. Because what's before their eyes is all that matters, right? Well, much in the same way, Jesus is like a parent appealing to us as his children who are in the toy aisle. All so many things can I get can I get? Can I get? And it's not that he says that he's this killjoy. He doesn't want us to have any good things. He's just appealing to us. He says, oh, there are far greater things than what your eyes can even imagine. And so the truth is that for many of us, we are like children who come, become blinded by earthly treasures. And we fail to comprehend the, anything better beyond this life and what we can see. And yet, this is what Jesus wants for his people. This is what Jesus wants for us. He, he wants to, us to set our hearts on an everlasting treasure, a heavenly treasure, the treasure of the kingdom. And Jesus' instruction for us here in Matthew 6 is not just so that we wouldn't lay up treasure on earth. It's, it's not merely to keep us from settling for something that we could, if we just saved up a little bit more, we could get a bigger house, a better car, or that, a better dress, or, or, or whatever it may be. Now, what Jesus is calling us to is, is the things of the kingdom because there is a great danger for living for the things of this world. And yes, Jesus is going to talk about possessions and, and primarily those things that can deteriorate and those things that can be stolen. But as we've been seeing through the, the Sermon on the Mount, everything, if we press just a little bit deeper, uh, there's more than maybe initially meets the eye. There's those idols that we craft, whether it's the, the perfect family that we, that we dreamt of or the relationship that we long for. Or the praise of men, the fame of the world. All these things he's been talking about. And he summarizes it by saying, do not lay up treasures. Do not put your eggs in that basket. Do not lay up treasures here on earth. But lay up treasures. Put your eggs in the treasures of the kingdom. Because not only is it better but it will transform your life. It will transform your heart. Notice what he says in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, the things that you value most, that's where your heart lies. That's where your heart lies. 
And what Jesus is saying here is rather profound. He's saying these things are your identity. These things are your life. And he's actually just repeating what is already stated in the Old Testament numerous times, but is most crystally stated in Psalm 115 verse 8. And it speaks of those who craft idols for themselves. And this is what the psalmist says about those who trust in false idols. They become like them. You become what you worship. And Jesus is saying, you will become like these treasures that you have knitted your heart to that are corruptible and will not last. And so there's a far greater danger here. He's not saying, oh, we're talking about a lesser level of heaven here. Oh, you're just going to miss out on the great joys that I have for you. No, he's drawing a line in the sand and he's saying, if you live for this world, you'll have the world. And this world's perishing. I'm calling you to live for the world to come that will never perish. Come follow me. This is an appeal to not love yourself, but to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. That's what he's calling you to. And many of us, we know it already. We're like, oh no, my heart is entangled with many things. I am worried, I am troubled by many things. And Jesus says, come follow me. And so if we become like the things that we treasure, if that's where our heart really lies, then why would we want to store up treasures on earth? The things of this world, Jesus is going to tell us, are doomed to pass away. And because they're doomed to pass away, they will only bring disappointment. Oh, they may have a a pleasure for a season. They may have an allure, but just like that $10 toy, It always breaks. And if you've built your life on this, you've staked your life on it, when it breaks, so does your life. And some of you are broken today because you've put all your eggs in this idol that you have crafted. And it has let you down. It has destroyed your life. And Jesus says, there's a better kingdom There's a better reward, and it won't disappoint. It won't destroy. It won't put you to shame. It's the kingdom of God, and it lasts forever. And in this kingdom, Jesus says, there is joy abounding evermore. And so for this reason, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is really what it's all been. He just continues to, to reiterate the gospel of the kingdom through all sorts of avenues, really not leaving us um, um, uh, free to ourselves in any manner. If there's any inkling of, uh, of unbelief in our heart, he's going to expose it and say, I want that. You're trusting in this. Whether it was anger, lust, divorce, retaliation, whether it's hypocrisy and how you worship, now it's where does your heart really lie? What is it that really is, is your heaven, is your treasure? The thing that when you lie down at night and you say, I want this more than anything else, what is it that gives you your tears? Is it me? Is it my kingdom? Are you longing and hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of the kingdom? Because it's only those who will be satisfied. What is it that you are giving yourself to? So Jesus has been presenting to us a greater righteousness, a greater kingdom, and a greater reward because he seeks to win your heart. He wants your heart, not your lips. Because if he has your heart, he has your life. And so he's going after it. What is it that your heart longs for? Because the heart that longs for God, Jesus promises us, will be satisfied forever. Because it's from our Father above whom the riches of the joys of peace, love, 
and grace abound. And so for this reason, I want to appeal to us this morning to make the kingdom our priority. This is all about priorities today. Notice that none of Jesus' disciples went around naked without clothes. This was not a, a uh, or they starved themselves. This isn't a vow to beat yourself up and to destroy your life if you're, you're proving your love for Jesus. No, he's saying, is my kingdom and following me your priority? Because if it is, all those things will be added. But here's where our heart temptation is. No, 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 Jesus, you got to do it my way or else I won't have the things that I need. He says, does it ever work out for you? Is it working out for you? He says, prioritize my kingdom. And all the other things will get aligned, if you will. That doesn't mean it's all easy or else he wouldn't need to talk to us. But there's a perspective, a way of living, a longing, a thirsting for things that will satisfy. But it's so easy to take what's right there in the toy alba before us, isn't it? I see that. I want that. Give it to me now. And he's going to say there's actually a darkness he'll get to about that. And it will eat you alive if you give it an inch. So I want to appeal to us to make the kingdom our priority in life. Why? Why would you want to make the kingdom a priority in your life? Well, so that you will not be overcome with worry and disappointment, but rather find your ultimate fulfillment in the lasting satisfaction of Christ. That's why. We want to prioritize the kingdom so that we aren't, as we will see in Matthew 13, like the seed that fell among the thorns. Oh, it claimed to know Jesus, but when the worries of life came, it squeezed the life out of it. It was overcome, and it did not bear fruit. Jesus says, follow me, and you'll not only bear fruit, but you'll you'll have an eternal inheritance with me in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus calls us actually now to put all our eggs in his basket. That's what he's going after. It doesn't mean we'll do this perfectly, but that's what we're striving for. I want to put all my eggs in one basket, and the basket says Jesus. That's what he's calling us to. To give our whole lives to him and hold nothing back because he is the one who calls us to lose our life for his sake and for the gospel, and he promises us that he who does so will find it, will find your life. Isn't that what you're looking for? Aren't you looking for life? He says, but you're, you're not willing to give your life to me. And until you do, you will not find it. You will not find it. Everything that Jesus says in these verses can be summed up in one exhortation. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. So that's really what I want to answer today. Well, what does, or, or pose a question and then answer it. What does that look like? Some of you are hurting. You're saying, yeah, what good does that do me? What does seeking first the kingdom do about my problems right here, right now? Well, this is what it looks like to seek the kingdom. We're going to see that seeking the kingdom involves prioritizing heaven over earth Generosity over greed, God over money, and trust over worry. We're going to break those all down. Heaven over earth, generosity over greed, God over money, trust over worry. That's what it looks like tangibly in these verses to seek the kingdom. And so Jesus' first exhortation to us is to prioritize heaven over over earth. He says it this way, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You can see that. But what? Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. This is a mind shift. This is what Paul says, set your mind on things above and not things on this earth. This is a tangible thing. And in fact, maybe you've heard this phrase, oh, that person's just too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Well, Jesus says, if you aren't heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. The one who's truly heavenly minded will have their priorities right. And you will not be choked out by the worries of the world. Doesn't mean you won't have trouble. 
but that trouble will not overcome you. And so he calls us to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Well, what are the treasures on earth that Jesus is referring to? Well, primarily, Jesus has in mind earthly possessions. Those things that can deteriorate or be stolen, that's what he's talking about there when you see uh, the moth and rust. And the picture here is of moth larva, actually. It's actually pretty grotesque. Worms eating your stuff. Uh, we were going, I was cleaning out some of uh, uh, the stuff that we had accumulated in my house and found uh, rolled up uh, rugs that we had accumulated. And guess what I found when I pulled out the rugs? And you, you open it up outside to kind of brush off the dust, found a big old hole. Why? Well, it wasn't mouth lar- or moth larva, it was mice. And you find their little black little rolly things just rolling all over the place, right? That's what he's talking about. You stored it up. You thought it was going to be protected. It was within your home, and it's got holes in it. It's your possessions. You know they fail you. We got a new car several years ago. You know what happened the first week? I'm driving. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm watching, keeping perfect distance. I'm going down Charlestown Pike, and I see a guy mowing his lawn. And right as I come up, he goes to the gravel. And it's like a machine gun inside my car. (laughs) No! I've done everything to protect it. Jesus is saying, it always lets you down. And you have those stories too. These things that we think we cannot live without, they're always deteriorating. They're always deteriorating. And so he's speaking about wealth, money, possessions. James uh, takes Jesus' teaching and applies it to those that he's writing to. In James chapter 5, you might just want to write this down. Listen, you can hear the echoes of the Sermon on the Mount as he uh, uh, rebukes those who trust in their riches. And he, he says to these people, Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Notice, notice that phrase. Those things you trusted in are corroding, but they're also corroding you. He goes on, you have laid up treasure. He doesn't call it on earth. He calls it the last days. And he goes on, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. This is what Jesus is saying. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. James is just bringing the conclusions together. You live for the possessions of this world, you'll become like them. They will rot your heart out. Oh, you you may be accumulating and satisfying while you're just like the fattened calf getting ready to go to the slaughter. And this is pretty serious stuff. So what is it? I mean, do possessions really do that to us? And this is scary for us in, in America. We live and pride ourselves in our possessions. We're the wealthiest country on earth. I want it. I can get it. That's the American dream. You want it? Work hard enough and get it. And yet Jesus seems to say there's something very dangerous about that. Something about your possessions, the things that your heart longs for most on this earth. So what is, what is James and Jesus getting at? What do they want us to understand? Well, well, first, they want us to understand because the kingdom of Christ is coming, this present evil age, James calls it the last days, are passing away. You need to understand where you are in the scheme of things. The kingdom of Christ is coming. That means this world is passing away. And so to invest in the treasures of this age, to invest in the treasures of this world, Jesus is saying it's fool's gold. What you see, even the best this world has to offer, it is passing away. This world is under a curse, and you know it, because everything we purchase or we accumulate has an expiration date on it. Everything. 
Even those of us who are living for the praises of man or propping up relationships that we long to have, the problem is is that we're all cursed and nothing ever works exactly right. That's why your marriage is a struggle at times. And you can't just put it in neutral. You always got to fight for it. Or parenting, it's, it's always a battle. Even the lust of your hearts for things that are outside the family. Or if I could just have that job, or if I could just have a little bit more money. I was talking to one of our deacons, Nick Weaver. He used to work for a bank before he came here. And he said it didn't matter what the type of car that came in, they were always making the last day of payments. Didn't matter if they had the Porsche or if they had the Miata. Why? Because more money means I will spend more, and I will live to its max. We're always seeking to satisfy more and more. Just as we read from Proverbs, the leech has two daughters, give and give. I want more, give me more, give me more, give me more. And it's never enough. It's never enough. And so there's something dangerous we need to see, not only about the possessions, but even men's praises, earthly fame, relationships we dream of, emotional stability, all of which we know, if we set our identity in those things, we'll crumble, we'll crumble. That's the first reason not to store up earthly treasure, but the second is even more critical. That's kind of concerning this life. You'll be overcome with worry. You'll be consumed with trying to keep up something that cannot be kept up. It doesn't mean don't wash your car, don't take care of things, don't be responsible. It's just don't set your eggs all in that basket. Set your life on those things. But secondly, if you store up earthly treasure, there your heart will be also. We're getting back to the things underneath the surface. In other words, your life, Jesus says, will be wrapped up in your possessions. Your identity will then be found in those things. And if your identity is found in the world, as James says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And we're going to get to that. You can't serve God in money. You'll find the choice will have to be made. And if your identity is found in the world, well, you'll have the world. You'll have the world. And so this puts some shape on what Jesus means earlier in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right now you know. We all do it. I am not here saying that I am immune to any of the things that I am talking about. My heart longs to accumulate. My heart longs for fame in this world. My heart longs for all my relationships to just fall right in line and do exactly what I want. It's what my heart wants. And so it's a heart battle every day. So as we saw last week, all now that prayer, lead us not into temptation, has another layer to it. It's a layer that we're fighting every day. I want my heart to long for you. And Jesus says, if your heart longs for God, blessed are you who are pure in heart, for you will see him. This is the principle that Jesus is getting after, brothers and sisters. You will get what your heart desires. Do you see it? You will get what your heart most desires. And he's saying... I'm laying before you a beautiful kingdom. I'm trying to show you the worthlessness of this world and call you to something greater. And I think that's actually what you want. Come to me. You see the appeal? Come to me. So Jesus is calling us not to be united to this world, a world which is passing away, but Jesus calls us also to a better world reward, a better way of living, a way of living which prioritizes the kingdom. And so this is the other side of the equation, not to store up treasure on earth, but but positively, store up treasure in heaven. He's not calling you to just be miserable. He's calling you to something better. 
Store up for yourself treasures in heaven that will not pass away. He says there's no, there's no moth larva. There's no thieves that are going to break in and steal. There's no curse that's going to disappoint you in this kingdom. So start investing in that one, not the one that's doomed to fail. It's like if you could watch the stock market on this. Yeah, right now it might be in the green, but are you watching the trajectory of this? It's going down. And the kingdom of God is on the rise. And so invest in the kingdom. And what does that look like? Investing in his fame, his rule, and the things that align with his will. That's what we hopefully are praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, not my will, my kingdom come. Why? Because my kingdom will crumble and it will disappoint everybody. It will save no one. But your kingdom will satisfy my soul and all those who submit to your rule. I want your kingdom. Do you see how that is a battle prayer every day? Invest in those things. I want your fame, not mine. Because it will do awful things to me. And it's actually not what is good in this world. And so certainly this means that this will tangibly start showing up in certain ways. It'll, it'll look like that you're now giving yourself to gospel work with your time, your resources, and your abilities. You'll say, you know what? If I'm going to invest in what's going to last, well, I'm going to Use all these things for the kingdom that will last. Now, does that mean now everybody needs to quit their job, uh, abandon all the things that you're investing in to, to now live for Jesus? No, it now gives purpose to everything you do. So those of you who are in college or, or those of you who are in, 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 in studying and education or you're going to technical school or wherever you're going to train, you, you still go on that path. But now you see, I'm going to use that to accumulate things of this world to use for the world to come. It's my prayer. I've been praying, Lord, raise up some top-tier engineers. Raise up some medical doctors. Raise up some nurses. Raise up some lawyers. Raise up some great entrepreneurs who will leverage their gifts and their abilities in the world for your kingdom. Frankly, some of you, and I'm not, this might bother some of your parents, I not saying all of you, just some, might need to consider I need to enroll in L to get a degree that will work in the world. And then I can use it on the mission field. I can use it here on the states. Or some of you, oh, I don't know what I want to do. Well, what is your passion? What is your passion? And realign it for kingdom purposes. But here's the danger of, of, of gathering your eggs in the earthly basket. It's constantly worried about protecting it. And worried about, oh, I'm going to mess it up. Oh, no. No, you're not going to mess it up if you're in the kingdom basket. Because Christ already said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's called you to be a steward, not the owner. But some of us are living like we're the owners of everything. And as if it all depends on us. My prayer is that we would then take the things that the Lord has given us, the education, the knowledge, the skills, the abilities, the desires, all these things, and begin to say, I, I'm not going to give those things up. I'm going to repurpose them. I'm going to repurpose them. I better get to point two. Well, Jesus kind of spells this out with greater specificity in verses 22 through 23. He puts some flesh on this. Look, look here. This is actually a really difficult verse to understand, but once we understand it, I think the lights will go on. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is Jesus talking about? It's one of those verses we read through and we're like, uh, don't know what in the world Jesus is trying to say. Sure, I'm sure it's good. And we move on. I understand the next one. That one's pretty clear. But these verses, what, what are you saying, Jesus? Well, he's using a parable of, of, of some sort, an analogy, an idiom. And the idea was, and, and we get this, the eyes 
if, if, if light comes through and basically guides the life. There's light. It's a lamp. It, it helps you walk in the darkness. If you don't have, if you close your eyes, it's now dark and you will trip and fall. So he's, it's probably some sense of an analogy uh, uh, that was used or a proverbial saying to talk about who you are on the inside begins by what you're looking at. That's what he gets at. And we, we can see this as we kind of look at the rest of the verse. He says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That word healthy uh, it can be translated lots of different ways. I know this is getting a little technical, but this is a difficult verse. It can mean single-minded, focused. And this kind of is a theme that Jesus has already gotten at when he says in verse 48 of chapter 5, you shall be perfect or whole as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's the Old Testament idea of shalom, peace, wholeness. He's saying if you have a whole eye, healthy, pure in heart. If you're looking at things holistically, not hypocritically, you'll be, light will enter in you. Lightness. This becomes a little bit more evident when you look at the contrast in verse 23. But if your eye is bad, that word bad could also be translated evil. Your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, we, we understand that one. Have you ever said that person was giving me the evil eye? Yeah, we understand that. You, you might have experienced it. You saw someone looking at you, and you're like, uh, I don't know what I did, but I can see it. They are looking and piercing me and going right after me. And you can see there's, there's something what did I do? Well, in the Old Testament, particularly in the Proverbs, and even in Deuteronomy, we'll look at this, the stingy person is the one who has the evil eye. The stingy person. Because they look at what you have and they want it. Now just imagine, what do you look at and you want? There's lots of things. That's what Jesus is talking about, earthly treasures. You look at it, and your eye is give, give. I want, I want. That's the evil eye. I want you to see this in Deuteronomy 15. Turning your Bibles there. Deuteronomy 15. So if you're, where's Deuteronomy? It's the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I want you to see this. Because this phrase, evil eye, is, is, is used. So beginning in, in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 15. This is talking about if someone among you is in need. And he talks about how you look at them. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of your towns within your land, and that Lord your God that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Now notice what he says. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of the release is near, and your eye look grudgingly my Bible has a little footnote. You jump down, your eye look evil on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. What's he, what's he getting at? The eye that looks at people with covetousness. He says, I want that. I want you, and I'll take you. What can you do for me? I want the family they want. I want the car they want. I want the house they've got. I want the job they've got. And you look at them as a means to your end. And so when someone comes to you and is needy, well, they, they don't meet your end, so therefore you harden your heart against them. 
Jesus says the one who loves the things of this world, well, when they see people, they're only a, a commodity to be used. So what's he getting at? Do not have an eye, an evil eye, which is driven by covetousness, but have a, a healthy eye, a whole eye, which is driven by generosity. That's what he's getting after. Notice the difference, and then he goes right into you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. And, and he gets to the depths of the darkness, and he says, if the light, now just think of that generically, that is coming in you because you are looking to accumulate, you got a covetous, evil eye, the darkness is ever deep. Why? Because coveting is the root of all evil. James says, why do you murder and why do you steal? Because you want and you do not have. That's why Jesus says, you go down this path of accumulation, it's dark. It's dark. It's evil. All the evil that we see in the world comes down to this. I see it and I want it. I want it. And I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And if you can begin to train your heart in all the things of your life and to begin hardening it to the Word of God and elevating what you think is right and, and your needs and your wants and all these things, and you can begin to ignore the Scriptures, Jesus is warning you, you are going down a dark and evil path. So we have a pretty clear picture of what Jesus is getting at when we're thinking about possessions. And he's calling us then to prioritize the kingdom by setting our eyes on the good of our neighbor. That's what he's getting after. Set your eyes on the good of your neighbor. This is how we express the love and compassion of God that's been shown toward us, towards others. I know that God, when he saw me, did not have an evil eye. Even though I was rebellious, stubborn, and I wanted nothing of him, he instead lavished his love on me, for it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I don't know about you, but I, I, I think it's the wrath of God when it's up to me. If I could lay down the hammer, I'll win your heart. Well, that's not how God won my heart. It's not how he won your heart. But yet, I want it, and I want it now, and I get irritable when I don't. Is that ringing a bell for anybody? Should we all of our heads nodding? Yes. So now, this again kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. You express this love. If the love of God has entered your heart, then that eye is turned from an evil eye to a caring, a generous eye. And now you're looking, how can I use my resources, my times, and my abilities to lay down my life for you? How can I win you over by giving you? Not asking you to give to me. It's a total reorientation of purposes. You're saying, well, I can't do that. Well, then Jesus is saying, well, where your treasure is, there your heart is. You don't yet understand the kingdom ethic. So Jesus' exhortation finds its full expression in verse 24. He gets to the point. And what he's speaking of is a matter of worship, loyalty, and love. Do you love God your Father, or do you love money? Do you love possessions is the idea. It's one or the other and you can't have it both ways because no one can serve two masters. The one who stores up treasure on earth, the one who has the evil greedy eye will give their heart to money and possessions and the things of this world. And in the end, the love of possessions, he's saying, will enslave you. It will be your master. And while you may say, I follow Jesus, he'd say, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so what is Jesus doing? He's actually calling us to submit ourselves to God's rule. 
Because he is the good master. That's what he's saying. You have two masters before you. You can serve the master of the possessions of this world and the things of this world, and it will be a cruel master to you. And he will not have your interest one bit in his mind. Or you can come to your heavenly father, and he's a good master. But notice you're never the master. You're never the master. And that's the deception of the the things of this world. We think we're the master. And if you are, then why are you hurting? Why is it disappointing you? Why didn't it work out? Because you're not in control. So if you're not in control, why don't you just yield yourself to the one who is? To the one who lasts, whose rule will never end, whose kingdom will last forever and ever. Because I'm in the toy aisle and all I can see is that $10 toy. Right? That's what I want. It doesn't matter what this Bible says. I want that. And you'll have it. You'll have it. Jesus is calling us to something greater. And when you begin to serve the Father... The Lord changes your heart, and, and, and I trust most of us are here. We're battling. I'm not trying to convince everybody everybody's not a Christian and going to hell or something like that. I, I, I assume the best. But I also know while, while we're a new creation, we're, we're not yet what we will be. And there are remnants of Adam and the old man that is lingering in us and grips us. And this is the means by which Jesus is shaking us up to say, don't go that way. Don't go that way. And here's what Colton said in his testimony. He said, when I came to know the Lord, it wasn't free from struggle. It was now free to struggle. You now can fight. The one who doesn't know the Lord just, it's a white flag, I'm done. I give up. The one who knows the Lord says, no, I'm in the trenches. And the Spirit of God won't let me give up. And that's the comfort that we have, that He seals us and protects us. And you begin to find yourself, I hate the things I love. Have you ever said that? Why do I love those things so much, Lord? I hate that I love those things. That's maturity talking. There's a warring between the flesh and the Spirit within you. And this is what Jesus is getting at. You begin to despise the praises of men because you love them so much. You begin to despise the riches of the world because you long for them so much. You begin to despise the pride of life because you are so prideful. And your heart will then begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness that he says will be satisfied in the Beatitudes. That's what he's getting after. Do you see it? I long for heaven because I can't get out of this world right now. And I'm so linked to it, Lord. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts where I have loved the things of this world and tried to be the master of my world. And Lord, because I know that I do the very things that I hate and despise in others, let me be gracious to them. And Lord, tomorrow and today, I need you to lead me not into temptation because I'm weak. Deliver me from the evil one. Do you see how that prayer begins to put some feet, some legs on that? When you start wrestling with your sin at this level? Oh, time. Okay. Why don't we do this? Let's, um, I was going to two-part this one anyway. So uh, you didn't know that, but I, I did. <laughs> So we'll come back to this because I'll confess there was fear and trepidation this morning, still is. Because when I came to this text this week, it wrecked my world. I realized while there are other areas, not that I have championed, I had a greater awareness and maybe greater maturity. This was one that the Lord kind of slapped me upside the head and said, where are you at? What do you love? 
And I'll confess, this is something that I'm like, wow, what does this mean? What does this look like for me? And so I tell some of you when you come out in the lobby and you're always like, "Ah, Pastor, you're stepping on my toes, man, that was hit. I just say, it's because I'm just hitting you as hard as I'm hitting myself. Please understand that. But I think I can tell you my heart, I I need another week of wrestling with these things. What does it look like to prioritize heaven over earth? generosity over greed, God over money, and, and then we'll get really to the heart of the matter, trust over worry. Jesus will say, oh, you of little faith. All the objections, oh, you of little faith. And I heard him, Chase, you of little faith. Why do you worry about such things? So I'm getting a little bit of that sermon in right now, but why do you worry about such things? Things that, that you're not even in control of. Stop pretending and trust me and seek my kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, let your word run deep. Lord, let the darkness not be deep in us. Let our eyes meet your word. May the light of your word fill our heart. And Lord, I pray for us in this room. We, we live in a world that, that bombards us and says, you, you need what we have. You're nobody if you don't have these things. And there's even a temptation to compare ourselves in this room and say, If I don't have what they have, I must be a nobody. Lord, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Give us our daily bread. Give us what is needful for us. Preserve us and protect us this week. Let these verses ring true. Let them be the meditation of our heart. May they be our battle verses as we fight the temptations to accumulate in this world. And Lord, may you win our hearts and woo our hearts and knit our hearts to the world to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand and let's sing.